Hi, I'm Snooty. And I'm Goon. And here's what you should have thought. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Welcome to Snooty and Goon, the weekly podcast where we take a new movie release and break it down for you. Everything will be spoiled. Spoilers abound. I'm your host, Alfred Snoots, and with me, as always, is G. Gordon Gunderson. Call him a goon. This week, we are taking a look at Hellboy, the first movie in the rebooted franchise, here directed by Neil Marshall and starring David Harbour, Milia Jovovich, Ian McShane, and others. And let's be honest, probably also the last movie in the rebooted franchise. God, I can only hope so. Now, we promised to do a compare and contrast with the old movie, and by old, I mean 2004, ancient history. But it almost seems pointless. This movie sucks out loud so much on its own that it actually hurts comparing it to the old one. And mind you, I have fond memories of the old one, and I even rewatched it recently just to prepare myself. And there are problems with the with the original Hellboy movie. Oh, boy, howdy are there. Uh, it, it is, in essence, a very cliched, sappy love story starring a demon who happens to also fight Nazis. <laughs> But it's so charming and so well made that it makes up for all of that and you don't care. It's it's beyond the status of cult classic. It's just a genuinely good movie. Not a great movie, but a good movie. It's hard not to like it with the performance that Ron Perlman turns in. Absolutely. From what I understand, he may hate the makeup and prosthetics, but he loves the character. By contrast, almost nothing in this Hellboy is worth the time to reboot and try and resurrect the franchise. It does exactly one thing better than the original Hellboy, which I'll get into, but it does everything else so much worse that coming out of the theater, I had a massive headache. I went into this one with honestly low expectations. I didn't ever have much hope for this one since I found it was going to be a reboot and not the third part of uh, Del Toro's series. Mm-hmm. So I want to say that may have colored my opinions on it. Oh, it absolutely colored mine going into it. But in the end, it was still just a really bad movie that had a couple of bits here and there that were kind of fun. I'm willing to do my homework and explain exactly what makes this movie so bad. I know critics have been exaggerating and saying that it's the worst movie of the year, and that's not even remotely true. Dumbo was way worse than this just to start, and we're only in April. Yeah, there's going to be plenty of other worse movies. Just wait till we get to August filler. But it's a bad movie, and I'm prepared to show my work. Mm. Before that, Goon, though, why don't you read us The Legend of the New Hellboy? and uh, run us through the summary. All right, uh, the movie opens with Hellboy down in Mexico looking for a missing agent who was there investigating a vampire nest. So anyone with two brain cells to rub together knows exactly what happened to him. He's a vampire. Hellboy has to kill him and is distraught over the death of his friend and being unable to save him. He's brought back home to the BPRD where his boss slash dad, Professor Broom, played by Ian McShane, says that he's sending them off to England, and more or less the British version of the BPRD, the Osiris Club, needs some help with a giant problem. So Hellboy flies off to merry old England to assist the Brits in hunting giants. The Brits are dicks and try to murder him. But there's a prophecy saying that he will sit on the throne of England and end the world and horrible stuff that, that is associated with Hellboy. He That's really the only thing about Hellboy's backstory you need to know is that everything around him says that he's going to end the world and he doesn't really want to. So they try to kill him, and the giants show up, and he kills them. But uh, after defeating the giants as Hellboy's lying there bleeding to death, he is saved by an old friend, Alice Monahan, a spirit medium whom he helped out as a child. After being saved by Alice, the good professor shows up again and says that they'll be working with 
secret British intelligence M11, who also hunts monsters. Apparently, England's got a lot of monster hunting services. Because an old enemy of Hellboy, a pig man that is honestly one of the better looking parts of the movie, is trying to resurrect Nimue the Blood Queen, played by the usually delightful Milia Jovovich. Hellboy and team go out to stop him. However, in true fashion, they fail. She's reassembled, and Nimue begins to try to convert Hellboy to her side, saying that she wants a world where the non-humans can live in peace and prosperity, and will kind of underplay the whole killing all humans part of her sales pitch there. Her words do have a bit of an effect on Hellboy, who apparently up to this point has been questioning why yeah, they have to kill all the monsters instead of try to help them, because he was a monster they should have killed, but instead helped. That's all, you know, sort of pushed aside when action sequences happen. Through the unlikely help of another old enemy of Hellboy's, Baba Yaga, they're able to track Nimue to the tree she was killed at, where she reclaims her blood and gets her full power, also poisoning Alice in the process. A traitorous witch that is trying to... Who just walks into the movie. Yeah, she just walks right in, says that the only person you can cure out of the poison is the wizard Merlin, because King Arthur's a big thing here. So. And then Exunt Witch. Yeah, then she's gone forever. They're able to make it to Merlin. He is able to heal Alice and explains to Hellboy his family tree that he is a descendant of King Arthur, apparently, because one of his great-great-granddaughters sold her soul to the devil and got knocked up with a demon baby. Seriously, kids, don't sell your soul to devils. It never ends well for anyone. At least not for a baby. Hold out for a car minimum. Yeah. An athletic scholarship, something. Don't sell yourself short, literally. Merlin explains to Hellboy the only weapon capable of killing him away once and for all is the sword Excalibur and offers the blade to Hellboy, who, upon touching the handle, sees a vision of him destroying the world. So he chooses to not take the sword, which then um, their other companion, Major Ben Damio, played by Daniel DeCam, kind of chews him out for choosing to not end the world. He's kind of an asshole. He's also a were-jaguar, or leopard, one of those two. Leopard. Nimue attacks the BPRD takes Hellboy's dead hostage, so they fly on back to London to confront her. She kills the professor in front of Hellboy and urges him to take up the sword and fulfill his destiny. He pulls the sword out and starts going evil when Alice channels Professor Spirit who starts bitching out Hellboy for being a whiny little baby. Just father of the year right there. However, his words seem to work. Hellboy snaps out of it and in the most anticlimactic ending ever, just sort of casually chops off Nimoy's head and throws it down a pit calling all the horrible demon monsters back into hell and saving the world. We're then treated to a bit at the end where Hellboy, Alice, and Damio are working together, taking down some other random branch of evil monster hunters, and they find a water-filled tube containing Abe Sapien. And then also a post credit scene where Hellboy talks to the lobster, a famous Nazi hunter's ghost, at his father's grave. That was actually kind of funny, I will admit. And that cute bit highlights a huge problem in this movie is that it is too enamored with too much of Hellboy's lore. Yeah, one of the complaints I've heard is that they took several volumes of worth of the comics material and shoved it all into one movie. Yeah, it's a complete jumble. This feels like a very ambitious and well-funded fan film. It, it is a mess. It's amateurish from the ground up in its execution. And the effects, while cute and earnest, are pretty terrible. 
Every time I look at Hellboy's face, it looks like it's a wax prosthetic that's half melted. Yeah. David Harbour's prosthesis. Well, okay, we'll get into him more in, in characters. But yeah, the, the the makeup doesn't allow him to emote at all. It it actually makes me go back and appreciate Ron Perlman's prosthesis more. Uh, you got to see so much more of Ron Perlman's face, and more importantly, his neck could move. Yeah. <laughs> David Harbour can't really move his neck. He just Ugh. sort of swivels. It's it's really bad. But the real problem with this movie, the core problem is, what is its conflict? It has two conflicts and doesn't really care about either of them. Goon, I noticed in your recap that you skipped over the actual introductory scene, which was a flashback to Arthurian times. Oh, where right, I Arthur did. killed... Um, Lady LeFay or whatever the Nimoy. fuck her name is. Right. Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy. He killed oh. Leonard Nimoy and chopped him up into pieces and put him into boxes. Oh, yeah. I guess I forgot about that. Yeah. And why was he doing that? To stop her from releasing a plague. A plague which came up again in the middle of the movie as she's walking down old London Street uh, and infecting people by the dozens and you see a news report about this plague spreading across england and then to europe at an alarming rate and it's never mentioned again well i assume that i was working on the assumption that when he killed her it ended the plague sure magic plagues work that way right but the threat then became hellboy takes the sword and suddenly hell opens up yeah who knew excalibur was the key to hell and then we cut again to old London streets, which look just fine, even though there's a rampant plague running around. And monsters arise! Monsters from the raddest possible heavy metal album cover you could ever imagine as a 13-year-old. Yeah. And they start slaughtering people in gory, badass, 3D special sprays of blood. This movie is, it feels so juvenile. This honestly feels like what an aggro 13-year-old boy would consider edgy and dark. And it's... I, I was thinking that exact same thing in the theater. I was looking like, this is like the type of gory violence that you expect a teenager to get a kick out of. And yeah. When I first heard the movie was rated R, I was intrigued. I'm like, okay, cool. So it's going to be definitely be more violent. Are they going to use that to the movie's effect? Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, um, Logan was a hard R and was very violent, but all the violence and brutality helped the story and the characters it had a it had a place by contrast deadpool was equally as violent and gory but made a joke out of its gore and violence yeah. as being overtly childish yeah. and this one is just trying to be serious but it's just overtly childish <laughs> this one thinks it's logan and is in essence deadpool only without the self-awareness yeah. without the self-awareness it's it's kind of sad mm. um hellboy isn't better because he can swear and because there's blood in it now uh, in fact, it's kind of worse because it takes all of the cleverness and mood out of it. Mm. The script and its dueling conflicts was... The, the movie didn't establish why Excalibur suddenly made Hellboy become all-powerful evil. Yeah. Uh, I understand that in the comics, he has a crown of fire waiting for him in hell that when he collects, he will control the armies of hell. But here, he has a sword. A magic sword will just make him turn evil and summon the armies of hell what and both merlin and leonard nimoy want him to take up the sword so i'm getting a lot of conflicting messages here in the movie yeah one would think you know the sword which comes from i guess his human bloodline would be the thing that would counteract the demon part of him i i don't know 
I, I don't know because yeah. the movie doesn't bother. It doesn't take the time to actually develop that. Yeah, Instead, it takes a bunch of shorthand and litters itself with ridiculous. So many flashbacks. So many flashbacks. It felt like I was watching an episode of Family Guy. Uh. <laughs> you think that's bad? Remember the time I saved a baby from a fairy? Yeah. <laughs> Well, they had that bit with Alice in the first introduced thought, oh, yeah, Hellboy help, help me out a while back. Like, okay, that's neat. That's just a little bit of lore dropping. That's how they know each other. That's then, oh, we have a flashback that, okay, a fairy took her and it replaced with a changeling, got it back. Like, okay, that actually does follow fairy myth, so neat. But why is this here? Um, when Daimyo says that, you know, monster attack, you're the only ones that survived. That's all we need. We didn't need a flashback to the were leopard killing all of them, save him. Yeah. Because then that kind of two minute flashback about his story. Because to me, that then kind of undercut his transformation into like the were leopard form at the end. I mean, we knew it was happening from the trailers, but seeing the creature actually getting a good look of it earlier in the movie before his first transformation kind of undercut the whole digivolving to monster form to help fight the bad guys. <laughs> and given the fact that apparently he had complete control of himself in his monster form, why was he always so concerned about taking his, you know, anti-transformation drugs? Well, did he just not want to rip his pants? Because, oh, no, 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 no. When he transformed, the pants disappear, uh, and then when he changes back, the pants are back. Oh wow! In that final scene, when he does his wear transformation, after he changes back, oh yeah, he's, he's still, still in his full BPRD uniform. Oh yeah, wow! They were so fucking lazy; they couldn't even bother to have him naked after transformation, or, like every wear creature in cinematic history, or just at least tattered pants. Yeah, nothing, just. Nope, his clothes are fine. He's just back because they don't care. Well, they could have gone like the extra mile and said that he has like stretchy clothes that you'll conform to his new wear form. I would love to see a panther wearing a tactical BPRD vest slaughtering would, people. That'd That's be fantastic. Fun. I would oh, love God. that so much. Can we talk about that ending scene for a second? Oh my God. That The movie just kept going for one more action scene. It felt like the movie was taking a victory lap after it had won seventh place. And the thing I was watching, I was watching like, you know what? This could have been a fun action scene to watch if I could actually see what was going on. Yeah, it, it was it was a sloppily disguised supposed uh, contiguous shot, which was actually just several shots spliced together with the camera panning up to a pathetic CG were panther or, or were leopard, and constantly jerking around and shaky camps. If they just if they'd either done an actual continuous shot or just. You know, multiple shots where the camera was steady and you could see the action happening. That possibly could have been a fun action scene to close things out on. No, the, the action in this movie is pathetically shot. It's mm. it's shaky cam. It's fast cutting, cutting around the lack of choreography. It, it is all the hallmarks of someone who does not know how to direct action. And Neil Marshall has done feature films before, but they, mo they, they mostly lean towards horror. I think what he's best known for is 2005's The Descent. And he's done a lot of television, but he hasn't done a lot of cinematic action. And it shows. Mm. You know where the movie completely lost me? It, it was during the luchador vampire fight, uh -huh. which is actually, that's a crazy enough concept. Like after the groan worthy opening monologue about, you know, King Arthur, it's like, okay, this sucks, but you're setting the stage. You're getting a lot of exposition out of the way. Fine. And then we get to what feels like should be a Hellboy, like the Ur Hellboy scene is Hellboy fighting a luchador vampire. That's yeah. ridiculous and fun. And 
Then the vampire transformation happens and you can't see shit because after the big reveal of the CGI vampire, you realize that this movie has worse special effects than 2004's Hellboy did. And 2004's Hellboy has not aged well in terms of computer-generated effects. But I will still give them props for their, you know... That movie's uh, practical effects. The the practical the practical effects are pretty good. Again, I just recently rewatched it. Yeah. There's one scene in particular that absolutely does not hold up, and that is the practical suit, um, Samael versus Hellboy in the uh, in the subway station. Because yeah. uh, at one point it's it's two guys in suits clearly fighting, and the guy in the Samael suit is just swinging his little claw arms around left and right, and you're like, oh, this. This wouldn't cut muster on Power Rangers. You've got me referencing Power Rangers, goon, and I hate you. Ha Life is complete. We end the show now. We cannot go any further than this. Not just yet. Oh, man. But no, that that is where I knew that this movie was going to do nothing for me. And it only got worse from there. It just... Every, it seemed like every other scene or every third scene was a flashback to something else that we did not need. Yeah. And oh, the Porter I was fully lost was when they did the flashback to Hellboy's origin. I'm like, it's like the oh hey, it's Rasputin and and the gas mask guy. And this is reminding me of a good Hellboy movie I, I could be watching. Well, see, but they differentiated it with Thomas Hayden Church as Lobster Johnson, which I'm gonna guess is something else from the Hellboy comics. Yes, he was a nod to '40s adventure serial pulp heroes. Uh, I mean, he he's like Buck Rogers or Flash Gordon. He. Uh. He's yeah, a hero that swings in and kills Nazis. Which I'm okay with. Honestly, I actually kind of like, like the lobster. The, the only thing that scene did, the inclusion of Lobster Johnson in that scene, was make me want a movie about Lobster Johnson. I would watch the hell out of I that. don't give a shit about this Hellboy. Hmm. Oh, and the tone of this movie. Again, 13-year-old it was so juvenile. aggro. It's so juvenile. All the characters hate each other. Yeah, uh, that's the thing that pissed me off. We're probably going to do this a lot, and I don't know if it's entirely fair, but in the 2014 Hellboy... 20, you, 2004 Hellboy. Yeah, sorry, 2004 Hellboy. You could see how much Hellboy and the Professor loved each other, mm-hmm. that they were father and son. And this, it seemed like they they hated each other. At the end, when Ian McShane is uh, Ian McShane's ghost is screaming, grow a pair. I'm like, okay, you're, you're done. You're fucking done. I never want to see you again. Like the okay, cool. Me gonna bring a spirit back and talk Hellboy down. This will be interesting. And he's just he's just insulting him. No, it's just the same thing as before. They're yeah. sniping at each other, beating beating their chests at one another like two gorillas. Yeah. Oh god, I cannot stand that yeah. kind of just need for dominance. And yeah. every character seemed to have it except for Alice, who was just there to make Hellboy feel good and had <laughs> crazy unexplained superpowers. Yeah. Occasionally, she can punch ghosts. Thank God that never came up again. She can punch ghosts out of zombies with the, with the explanation being, oh, since I channeled that seer, strange shit's been happening. And Why not just make that an aspect of her spirit channel or powers? I'd be fine with that sudden revelation if A, it had actually come up again, and B, if the movie decides to explain in detail every fucking other thing, so why not that too? Oh, yes, the action looks terrible. The effects are pretty... The the CG effects are pretty bad. The practical effects outside of David Harbour's face are okay. Mm. I kind of like that they did Baba Yaga as a practical effect. Yeah, oh, that was one of the scenes I actually enjoyed. If only because David Harbour actually got to interact with something physically. Mm. The only action scene that, that you could see in totality was the scene where Hellboy fought the Giants, and it was so... The whole giant subplot was so awkwardly shoved into the movie that you could tell that was one of the things that they had 
scripted and storyboarded first and refused to get rid of because it would make too good of a trailer shot. Yeah, and we can't get rid of the giant action scene. <laughs> and it was all CG. So, of course, you could see everything that was happening. You didn't have to hide the cuts because it was all manufactured. And the thing that annoyed me about that is that if the whole thing was just to lure Hellboy to England so the Osiris Club or whatever could murder him, why were there even giants? Why why wasn't it just the, hey, let's say there's giants to bring Hellboy here so we can so we can stab him in the back with our lightning spears? Better question, and I wasn't going to pick this nit, but I'm glad you brought it up because I really, really wanted to pick this nit. Mm. If there are actually giants, which there are, yeah. why not wait until you've defeated the giants and Hellboy's taken a few good hits and then kill him. You've got the giant problem out of the way. Hellboy's dead. And you just tell Professor Broom, oh no, a giant killed him. I laughed my ass off when like the, oh, oh they're, they're trying to kill Hellboy. Did, did they forget about the giants? So when did the giants show up and kill them all? And there they are. For, for a hundred and something year old, classically educated British aristocrat, that guy was a fucking dumbass. Yeah. Yeah, he was. <laughs> Oh, as long as we're uh, as long as we're nitpicking about the the bad script, how about this one? Uh, so Hellboy is visited by Leonard Nimoy, and is suddenly given the notion that maybe monsters should be okay with humans. Maybe if humans didn't hunt monsters, it'd be fine. And this is, mind you, right after Hellboy watched uh, watched the aftermath of giants eating an entire village, and then that little nugget that little emotional thread that they start to weave is completely undone when we see baba yaga serving children yeah with children hanging in her larder and suddenly hellboy is just totally cool with hunting monsters again and gets a little upset about why didn't you kill me dad at the end uh which really they could have developed into an actual subplot but yeah. they didn't because they separated broom and hellboy right away after that so it was just good for one aggro fight. I'm right. No, I'm right. I hate you, Dad. I hate you, son. It really does make me miss the the, the emotional nuance of 2004's Hellboy. And there's not a lot of nuance, but one of the things I love is the relationship between Broom and Hellboy in that movie. Yeah, it's Ron, so great. Ron Perlman's performance with John Hurt makes it feel like it's a son who doesn't want to inherit the family business, but it also happens to be really good at it. And you can see that like bit of sort of rebellion against his dad, but still being like kind of upset that he disappointed his dad at the same time too. Yeah. It's a much more complicated and honest relationship. And I loved that. Instead in, in 2019's Hellboy, we just get a bunch of screaming matches between man babies. Yeah. Hooray. Hey, why don't we move on into characters? This will be fun. So David Harbour as the titular Hellboy. I'll say, I don't think he was a bad choice for the role. I think, a lot of the problems came from both the prosthetics and like the effects and the script he was given. The the prosthetics and the scripts are definitely the biggest hindrances. At the end of the day, I don't hate that Harbor is essentially playing Hellboy as this petulant 13-year-old trapped in a giant monster's body. I I wouldn't hate it if there was another adult in the room. Yeah. Ultimately, there really isn't. No. <laughs> Everyone else is selfish and immature to the point of just total irritation. Um, With the exception of Alice, who's just there as an emotional pick-me-up. Yeah, she's just she's she's Hellboy's emotional crutch. This Hellboy is just obnoxious, and he's not funny. I was a little bit intrigued, like at the beginning after he kills like Vampire Buddy, and like, okay, so are, are we getting like a Hellboy who's maybe been doing this too long, seen too many of his friends die, and is kind of burnt out? Like, okay. This could be kind of interesting to watch. And nope, he's, nope, that's just, he's a whiny little baby. 
That, that's yeah. what this is. The, the scenes where Hellboy is drunk and moping feel like the most honest. <laughs> At least then his face's immobility makes sense. Milia Jovovich as Leonard Nimoy. Nimoy the Blood Queen. That's what I said. You're going to confuse people by your purposely getting the names wrong. I don't know what you mean. I'm saying the same thing you are. Leonard Nimoy, the Blood Vulcan. Usually I like Jovovich. She's... She was super charismatic in the Resident Evil movies. I'm not considering her impression to be one of the best actresses out there, but she's been steadily working for quite some time now, so... I'm sorry. I want to respond, but I made myself laugh really hard with my own joke. <laughs> and, you know, when I first heard that she's going to be playing the bad guy, I was kind of intrigued about that. I, I, don't, I haven't seen her too often in, like... I'm still laughing. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I can hold it. Like, I haven't seen her too often in more villainous roles. The only one that really springs to mind was her, like, villainous henchman in uh, Zoolander. So it seemed like this sort of big magic comic book evil. I was kind of intrigued. And, again, it's one of those where I want to just put it to the script being the big problem. Because she was just a... She whispered very loudly. And that was kind of her whole shtick. I'm going to whisper loudly and try and get Hellboy on my side. <laughs> the, the script gave her something to, to do and then took it away. She mm. can take over the world herself with her plague. And she was stopped for doing so. And as soon as she wakes up, the only thing she cares about is making Hellboy her king. Why? Yeah. It, she can take over the world just fine on her own. Yeah. I, I was really upset because I wanted to see her. She's like the big bad guy of this movie. That would have been a, I think that could have been really fun if they, as we've seen other things, she can do like campy over the top stuff, which could have worked really well for a Hellboy villain. That's all she does. Yeah. She does it well. I'm looking forward to seeing her in the Monster Hunter movie. It's going to be a terrible movie. Are you looking forward to her to her in it? Yeah. Why? Because I like her. I mean, it's going to be a terrible movie, yeah, but I like Milia Jovovich. Oh, I will say she's not the she's not the actor slumming it the most. Um, Ian McShane is basically just here to be Ian McShane. Yeah. He doesn't even try. He's just Ian McShane. I can't tell the difference between his performance here or his press junket appearances. He's just—he's foul-mouthed and cashing a paycheck, and he loves it, which is fine, but Jesus Christ. I, I wouldn't want to follow John Hurt off the stage either, but Jesus Christ, put in a little effort. Yeah, just... Ugh. Grow a pair. I mean, fuck me. Maybe try and be an actual dad, huh? Ever think of that? Well, I, I get if he's struggling to be a dad, but that never came out in the in the performance. It was just, oh, God, my son's being a whiny little dick again. I better just slap him down and put him in his place. And then, oops, I'm dead. I better apologize to my kid. Mm. That That's fine. If you're an asshole, if that's how you want to play Professor Broom, I don't know why you would, but if that if that's it, then you don't get to say, I love you, son. I don't regret not killing you. Um, Sasha Lane as Alice Monaghan, uh, plot device. Yeah, she was around. She got to deliver exposition, and then in within six months became a kick-ass agent. Apparently so, For yeah. some reason. With the, like, silver brass knuckles, or like, I guess silver knuckles? Uh-huh, because it made for a cool shot for the trailer. Yeah. Um, but she still got off better than, um... Daniel Day Kim? Yeah, Daniel Day Kim, who almost wasn't even in the movie, because his part was almost whitewashed. Really? Yeah, they wanted to original. Th there was originally a hubbub because they were going to cast Ed Skrine huh. uh, from Deadpool. But people were like, hey, this is like one of the few Asian characters in Hellboy who's not you know, a villain or a demon. Maybe don't do that. And they said, oh, well, I mean, he was supposed to be extra British, but I guess, you know, he can have Asian features too. <laughs> and then the part 
amounted to fuck all. Yeah. And actually, I do enjoy Daniel Day. Came out, seen him in some other things and liked him in, but just, wow, that British accent was just, wow. Yeah, not great. No, not at all. Like, okay, he's a member of like the you know, M11 British Secret Service. Sure. Like, they said, oh, I moved here when I was a kid. That's why I don't have the accent. I speak, you know, non British accent. You don't need to have him put on this really bad accent throughout the course of the entire movie. And again, being a chest thumping asshole. Oh, here we go. Stephen Graham as Pig Demon. Wah! Hellboy beat me up when I was a baby. Wah! I will give some credit to just, you know, him being a physical presence on set for the, until his big final fight at the end. It looked fucking terrible. Yeah. Uh, most of him was CG. A lot of him was CG. Yeah, but there was also just some decent chunks of, of a guy in a costume. I guess. One thing that really got me curious was, you're like, okay, you need the words of a holy man to undo the binding on this thing. So I'll just shove this priest's jaw in my mouth and I'm a holy man? The fuck? Yeah. He, he, well, he, he, the words of a holy man. I guess he was speaking through the holy man's trachea. So I, I guess that counts. I, I guess so. <laughs> nice to know that you're, you know, ancient divine you know, binding spell designed to keep horrific blood witches and asleep forever can be so easily overcome. Uh, well, it's even easier when they get the last arm because Hellboy just accidentally smashes the box for him. Yeah. <laughs> like, could you do that with any of the boxes? Did you even need the, the chains removed? Just smash the box. They're really old. Yeah. Well, I was not very well constructed. <laughs> oh, and finally, Thomas Hayden Church just totally slumming it and loving it as Lobster Johnson. He'll always be Lowell the mechanic from Wings to me, but yeah, again, he's the character I'd rather actually be watching. Yeah, <laughs> I would totally watch a Paul Peter going around punching Nazis in the face or burning a brand into their heads with his cool lobster claw glove. Yeah, and I think that's the purpose of his character. It's supposed to be that you're so stupid, you're awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so remember when that scene bumped up like the Lobster Johnson famous, I was like, this is really stupid, but I'm kind of loving it. Can we just have more of him, please? <laughs> All right, so it's time for themes. I felt like a theme they were trying to put in this movie was the idea of growing up, where you had um, Hellboy being the whiny, petulant child, and like throughout the course of the movie, he's questioning his place, you know, his relationship with his dad, as people tend to do as they get older, and then he's offered his destiny, and it's up to him to decide to take it or cast it down. It's offered the same destiny by both the good guys and the bad guys. Yeah, what the fuck was up with Merlin offering him, like, hey, yeah, kill Nimue, but he'll end the world in the process. The fuck? Was Merlin a bad guy? Was he a double agent or something? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's just the script wasn't terribly well thought out. Yeah, that sounds about right. But it's a magic item. It's not like Hellboy's wielded other magic items before. Oh, yeah, no. When, when has he ever done that? <laughs> Sorry, please continue. Yeah. So basically this movie felt like a giant metaphor for growing up and choosing your path in life, but it was just so badly done because it, it all just boiled down to a kid and a dad screaming at each other and none of the actual, what is my place in life? What is my purpose here? What I'm going to do? None of the introspection that an interesting story like that should actually have. Mm -hmm. In order, in order to have a story about growing up, somebody needs to actually become an adult and yeah. that never happened. No. For my theme, uh, I'm not going to talk too long about this. I, I just want to point out the importance of creative control in a project. 2004's Hellboy was written and directed by Guillermo del Toro with a lot of input from Mike Mignola, the creator of Hellboy. This movie supposedly had the same amount of creator input uh, and 
I guess if they wanted to shove two or three different books worth, maybe it did. But it was clearly a push-pull situation between the director and the producer. There's, there's a lot of evidence in it that's circulating in the news now that supports this idea that they were not getting along. Yeah, I actually watched the uh, Movie Bob review of when he was talking a lot about that mm -hmm. and it's so important to have a clear focus behind a creative project even if you have multiple creators involved they have to be getting along they have to be collaborating and not conflicting it's rarer and rarer these days that uh, creators particularly in cinema get to become true auteurs Guillermo del Toro was one and in fact that's why he left The Hobbit is because they it's because uh, New Line Cinema wasn't going to let him be one Jordan Peele is another great recent example of someone who's allowed to become an auteur. Yeah. And it shows here, Neil Marshall clearly didn't have the, con the control he needed to make his vision come alive. And I'm not even sure if he did that his vision would be worthwhile, but it would certainly be mo more coherent. Yeah. It's really sad to see something this big of a mess come to screen. Uh, particularly for a property that I came to love, even not being a huge fan of the Hellboy comics. I, I've read the first volume of the Hellboy comics, and it's fine, but frankly, <laughs> Dark Horse was charging a lot for very little. Uh, they are extremely expensive and hard to find these days. Mm. Uh, so it's a very niche market, which means if you want to start Hellboy as a new franchise, you have to make him much more universally appealing to widespread audiences, kind of like the MCU did for the extremely detailed and esoteric lore of the Marvel Universe. Yeah. This wasn't that. This was a jumble of shout-outs to, to specific fans. This was a love letter written by three hands, and it was not composed very well. Uh, and with that, you know, let's do something special for highs and lows. Let's uh, give a, a high point and a low point to both Hellboy movies. Oh, I haven't watched the first Hellboy in a while. But I bet you remember the high point and low point of it. Yeah, um... Original uh, 2004 Hellboy, definite high point. Um, I just got to go with the, um, I'm blank on the on his name, but the sword gas mask villain. Mm. I, I can't remember his name either, but I always just thought of him as Nazi assassin. Yeah, just, I loved the look of him, just like the lore behind it, where he was this sort of addicted to surgery, this mm. grotesque parody, dust full of sands, and just the, yes, the cool swinging swords. They were just... He was just a delightfully creepy villain, and I loved that about yeah, him. Yeah, and none of that was told in creepy flashbacks. You got to see Professor Broom performing his autopsy, yeah. which was a great way to introduce more about this character while still keeping it in the moment. And It's a nice little diversion. What about the what about 2019's Hellboy? High point? I think I go with the Baba Yaga scene. I actually did kind of enjoy that one because... She was a physical presence, and it was just so creepy. And just everything leading up to it, just the help of finding something like the creepy, miscolored, you know, miscovered forest, giant house on chicken legs comes up. It was just probably the best part. Well, as I'm saying, it's probably, in my opinion, it's probably the best part of the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, from 2004's Hellboy, I would say the high point for me is that each pairing of characters gets a scene to just sit down and talk to each other. Mm. Uh, that, that tangentially involves the plot, but mostly it's just them hanging out. And, and catching up with one another of the trinity of monstrous characters that they all get a chance to just sit down and talk like friends. Yeah. And that's, that's wonderful for 2019's Hellboy. I would have said the Baba Yaga scene, uh, but instead I think I'll go with Hellboy and Alice sitting down for the first time. Cause that felt like the most evocative of that sense from 2004's Hellboys where it's just two 
supernatural characters, two outsiders sitting down and talking, mostly like friends. Yeah, that actually was a pretty good moment, too. I did like that one. Of course, it has to end with somebody blasting into her apartment when they could have just knocked. Yeah. And there was really no reason for them to just blow into the apartment. Yeah, I just, I would have liked that if they, if they just been the knock on the door, they open it, and there's a SWAT team there to pick up Hellboy. Yeah. And just them like, the, yeah, they're here for me. Just, that would have worked so much better. <laughs> now, what was the low point for both movies? Um, For the 2004, one of the big things that, that stood out to me was, um, I think it was uh, Agent Myers. Yep. Like, I didn't hate the character, but he just kind of felt... I guess, I guess like he's kind of supposed to be an audi- audience surrogate sort of character, but yes. he felt kind of unneeded. His big thing was to bring Liz back to the BPRD and at the end of the movie, do the whole throw Hellboy the crucifix thing and say, remember who you are. I'm absolutely echoing you because the one, the one thing that 2019's Hellboy does better than 2004's Hellboy is that it trusts that its audience doesn't need a surrogate to follow. Yeah. And it that- trusts that Hellboy is a strong enough character that you'll empathize with Hellboy. He's not, but it trusts that he is. <laughs> and yeah, that means I didn't hate the character of Myers at all. He just didn't particularly feel needed, which is why he wasn't in Hellboy, the you know, Golden Army with the little joke that, oh yeah, Hellboy had him shipped off to Antarctica. The, although the one thing I like about Myers is that he's the real freak of the movie. He's so normal to the point where he's he's just John Myers. Yeah. That, that he's the one that stands out. He's the freak of the BPRD. Mm. And what about 2019's Hellboy? The big thing that pissed me off the most was the relationship between Hellboy and the Professor. Mm-hmm. I I loved how much they did that in the 2004 movie. It was so great. And here, it just felt like they looked at what the relationship was and says, that's stupid. Let's do something better. And had them acting like fucking idiots. Why is Professor other. Broom such a pussy? He should be tough. He should be a tough dad. <laughs> yeah, seriously. When, the, when, when Broom's ghost says, grow a pair, I just wanted to scream, Fuck you at the screen. And just the thing that was great was that, you know, in the 2004, he was Professor Brute. He was a professor. He was knowledgeable and scholarly. He wasn't an action hero like he was in the 2019 movie, which... He wasn't even an action hero here. He was just fucking nothing. Yeah. Just an asshole. Yeah. (laughs) An asshole who gave Hellboy's marching orders. I would have said Myers uh, for the 2004 Hellboy. Uh, So instead, I'll say the frustratingly vague rules of Samael. Yeah. Because apparently for every one that dies, two shall arise. And sometimes it happens, but it also lays eggs and those can hatch. And there are a bunch of Samuels at the end, but Liz is able to vaporize them all and none of them arise again. It was kind of weird. Yeah. I, that's always bothered me a little bit. Yeah. The real thing that bothered me about the the hell, uh, about the Del Toro Hellboy movies is actually from the Golden Army. Where at the end, after everything's resolved, Liz is just able to melt the crown that everybody wanted in the first place. I'm oh. like, why didn't you lead with that? Yeah. Melt the half of the crown that you had. Would have solved so many problems <laughs> was, from the kitchen. I was so mad. I was so mad. For 2019's Hellboy, though, I, uh, I, I have to go with the dueling threats. Leonard Nimoy is set up as the threat in the beginning with her plague. And then suddenly it becomes Hellboy getting Arthur's sword, which both sides want him to do anyway. And it's never established why Excalibur is going to make Hellboy summon the armies of the damned. Yeah, it's so uh, stupid. It's just, it, it basically just gives us an excuse to cut away to, again, like the Giants, just a very clearly preconceived two to three minute sequence of people gruesomely dying at the hands of these giant demons who then proceed to not matter at all. They just go away and everything's fixed. (sighs) All right. Well, we're damned if we did, and we're damned because we didn't. So how many thumbs are we going to give Hellboy in Hell? 
I'll go half a thumb on this movie. It's not completely unwatchable, but it's really not worth watching. Mm-hmm. If you're a huge fan of the Hellboy lore, then there might be some part of this movie movie that you'll like because they just shoved so much into it. Yeah. This but, is a movie specifically for you if you've read a bunch of Hellboy and BPRD comics. But apart from that, this, this honestly does, doesn't even work as a good bad movie night with friends' choice. It's just... It's, it's too sloppy. I'm going to yeah. match you half a thumb. It... There are there are a few things that it does technically competent, and it's it's just watchable enough that if you sit through it, you won't hate yourself too much for it. That is an aggregate one out of four thumbs from Snooty and Goon, and that still feels pretty goddamn generous. But with that out of the way, I believe it's time for some trailer talk. All right. Well, I suppose the uh, first one we should bring up was the one that the internet's been freaking out about oh, for the past. Goon, I know exactly the one you're talking about. You mean Stuber, starring Dave Bautista and Kamel Nanjiani. It's a, uh, I'm so excited about this. This amazing comedy, uh, a buddy cop comedy, of, uh, but one of them's an Uber driver. It's like Ride Along, but it looks like it might actually be funny because it involves funny people. I don't know if you're being serious or not right now, and it annoys me. What? No, that, I mean, that's that's okay, the big... Yeah, I, oh, I, w- no, okay, I'm okay, sorry. No, no, we're, we're on Stuber right now, okay? We're talking okay, about we're Stuber. We're talking about Stuber, okay, you're right. Yeah. Again, I don't know if what you're saying was being was being sarcastic or being serious, but I like Dave Bautista. Yeah, having another comedy action movie coming out, and I will admit I did cheer a little bit when I saw that the actress playing his daughter in that movie is Natalie Morales, who played uh, Wendy Watson in the short-lived Middleman TV show. Because I'm a huge fan of hers. What the hell is Middleman? I haven't made you watch that yet. I don't think so. All right, well, I know what our next movie night is. But now, okay, now that that's out of the way, can we talk about the actual trailer that has everyone freaking out? Oh, God, okay. No! You mean Good Boys? <laughs> no, that one fills me with a blind, seething rage. But it's about teenagers going to a party. No, no, well, no, it's not teenagers. teenagers. They're Tween- like 10 or 12. Sorry, teenagers going to a party. Yeah, it's Good just- Boys. It it looks like it's going to be a fun romp. It's an even younger version of um, Super, Super Bad. Bad. Yeah, it's one of the same people that made Super Bad. It's like the... Let's take Super Bad, a movie which maybe is bad, but it's about like seniors in high school still makes somewhat sense, mm-hmm. and centered on 12-year-old boys. Yeah, who don't know nothing about sex. I And it's funny, over and over again, it's funny. I saw that trailer, and I believe the first words out of my mouth was, there is no God. That's the movie that made you see no God? I'm pretty sure several movies that made that, that, made that happen. This one just reinforced it. All right. You know, I'm having fun with you, Goon. I'm sorry. We'll talk about the trailer that actually has the internet abuzz. The one starring the badass female super action heroine, Anna. Saw that one too. Uh, I got a lot of Atomic Blonde vibes from it. Yeah, it it looks like Atomic Blonde, but cast younger. Uh, It looks like it's still also set during the Cold War because that's when all the best spying happened. Yeah. At least as far as America is concerned. The trailer didn't particularly wow me, but it didn't look all that bad either. It looks like it could be a a fun action flick. The action at least looks solid. It's all shot in Steadicam and well choreographed. Yeah, and I... It's inventively blocked too. And what are the... And if... Those who listen to our review of Atomic Blonde know that one of the, my favorite parts of the movie was the action sequences and that they were so well done. And if Anna can even just match like half of that, it'll have some fun to watch action. Man, that was a good trailer talk, Goon. Okay, so... Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> we got our first teaser trailer for episode nine and it does exactly what a teaser trailer is supposed to do. It shows you a lot of random scenes that aren't really connected together. And I liked the trailer. 
it got me excited for the movie. I'm not a big fan of the title Rise of Skywalker. It I've seen one fan theory that if it actually turns out to be true, I'll be okay with it. And that's the theory goes that the new fourth tradition that Ray will create will be called this will be called Skywalkers. And you know, in honor of Luke. And like if that's the case, then okay, yeah, that then I don't mind the title too much. If it's the rise of this new light side tradition that's named after the person who I kind of trained Ray. Step one, go out into the desert alone with an old man. Step two, kiss your sister. Step three, live with a weird hermit in the swamp. Step four, kill your dad. It's a solid training protocol. It really is. Yeah, it seems to work. <laughs> with my new patented four-step program, you too can be a mediocre Jedi. But yeah, um, the trailer did it as I was supposed to do. It it got buzzed, and I'm already seeing a lot of theories popping up. And, oh, hey, Palpatine's back, yeah, so it's, cool. It, it's done exactly what they wanted it to do. People are talking and theorizing, and I just, I don't care. I just don't care anymore. It It's so blatantly drawing on nostalgia the same way that The Force Awakens did, to the point where almost every shot is just a reference to something that came before instead of a possibility of something to come. That it's, whatever, it's just, it's, it's, more Star Wars highlight reels. And I just, I don't want that anymore. I'm, I refuse to get excited about it. I'll, I'll agree with you that it is, that it does seem to be a lot of callbacks, but I, I love Star Wars even at its worst, looking at you, Phantom Menace. So I'm still looking forward to seeing this one. I will probably be, see, I'm probably seeing it opening weekend, unless I can't get tickets, which is going to be shortly after yeah. opening weekend. Yeah, you know, I'm fine that... I, Star Wars and I have, have seemed to part ways at this point. I'm fine with it. Star Wars is no longer for me. And if it excites a bunch of other people still or excites a new generation the way that it used to excite me, then more power to it. But I just, I'm not engaged anymore. Uh, well, according to some idiots online, Star Wars is dead. The Last Jedi has killed Star Wars. Star Wars is no longer a thing. Wow. Even though there's an... A movie came out after Last Jedi, and a new one is coming out later this year. And a as huge well as, theme park opening. As well as, you know, the Mandalorian TV show and a possible Knights of the Old Republic TV show. Somebody should tell Disney that Star Wars is dead. They're yeah, no, a corpse. Yeah. It's kind of gross. Oh, uh, I refuse to be lumped with those morons. Yeah, no, I, you're you're not one. From what I from what I gather is you're the one you're the one who just says, I enjoyed it and now I'm moving on to something it, else. It's just it's not for me anymore. And that's and fine. That's, that's, I'm fine with that. Mm. There's there's still so much media that's targeted specifically for me. I'll be okay. Yeah. Star, and if Star Wars can excite a bunch of other people the way it used to excite me, again, that's fantastic. I, but I just, I'm not engaged anymore. I'm honestly I am ex I'm excited about this new movie. I'm actually kind of excited about the Mandalorian TV show, especially because it's not about Boba Fett, who let's be honest is a bitch and got the bitch ending he deserved. Boba Fett's gonna be an episode gonna be in it by episode two. I fucking guarantee it. You know, if he is, and we ex we can see like the main character just punch him in the face or something, I'm down. People, please stop collectively fan-winking to Boba Fett, please. He's not that great of a character. The actor that played him, really nice guy. Met him at a convention, talked to him for a bit. Super charming British dude. Made fun of my friend for how she spelled her name. It was delightful. Well, with that complete goon, then I believe it's time to pick what we're seeing next week. And since I stole your pick this week, uh, we're back to you. Well, let's see what we got coming next week. Oh, we have Breakthrough, one of those other movies that reinforces that God only cares about you if you're upper middle class and white. Yay! I meet almost all of those. And, uh, ooh, penguins. We could watch a documentary about a penguin dad. More great parenting? Maybe he'll tell his son to grow a pair. You know, uh, the dads sit on the eggs. The Curse of La Rolona? I'm sure I pronounced that wrong. It's Spanish. Yeah. The Curse of Leonard Nimoy. Uh, jump scare horror flick. Um, 
Oh, yeah, next weekend's also Easter, isn't it? It is. I got Goon Family Traditions. Okay, um, to make things easier on us, and because all these movies opening look like absolute garbage, oh. I'm I'm going to retro review. Okay. You know, don't have to, don't, won't even have to leave the fortress for it. All right, that sounds and, like a nice thing to do. You know, there was a movie that came out, you know, back end of last year, earlier this year, that I'm still really, really upset that we missed and didn't get a chance to talk about or see. Oh, Bakun, which one? Oh, no. Oh, yes. No, 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 no. Yes, 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 yes. Next week, we're going to be taking a look at the zombie Christmas musical, Anna and the Apocalypse. Dust off those Santa hats, ladies and gentlemen. No. I now regret giving you this pick. Can I steal this one too? No. (sighs) All right, well... Then coming next week, Anna something something Snooty's miserable. But until we get all holly and jolly and musical, I've been Snooty. I'm the goon. And that's what you should have thought. Thanks for listening to Snooty and Goon. If you liked what you heard, you can rate and review us on iTunes. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more great episodes, visit snootyandgoon.com.